Hello there. Welcome to yet another day of um, our Bible teaching. I believe you had a wonderful time in the presence of God today. And I pray that the presence of the Lord will not depart from every one of us in Jesus' name. Uh, so it's another moment of considering uh, the series that is before us, the book of Hosea. It's been a quite, um, you know, enlightening period or moment for us this past few Sundays that we started the series. And uh, it has really been, uh, you know, a kind of recall, a kind of reminder for us to reevaluate our relationship with the Almighty God, to see where we stand, how connected are we, are we still feeling the relationship, are we drifting apart from our first love. And I pray today's study, today's teaching, we also draw us closer to the Master. Let us pray. Our dear God, we do pray and ask that as we start this study today, you would enlighten us in the name of Jesus. We pray this study series that we are considering will not just be a, a, a waste, will not just make us pass time, or, or not just for us to have something to teach, but it will work something in us. You will do a quick work in us that will connect us to you, make us love you more, that we shed your love abroad in our hearts. And at the end of this series, we will be so connected to you that I will love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our might. In Jesus' name, we pray. So we've seen the book of Hosea, even though it's considered as uh, the book of uh, one of the minor prophets based on volume. But we've seen that there are some pungent lessons that we can learn from this prophet Hosea. We started by seeing how God instructed him to take a wife and not just um, normal way other people do who will consider their the, 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 the wife they are about to take try to make sure she's of good character, good behavior and um, good from good a good background and then they will make their proper research, see if she's in, uh, right with God according to the commandment of God and then take the take such person to wife. But this case was quite strange and strange in the fact that Without even making much research, it was obvious this wife he was about to take was a, a harlot. And the most thrilling part of it is that he was instructed to take such harlots from the one who is so pure that he cannot behold iniquity, the Almighty God. And that's the that was the interesting part, and that's what makes the book of Hosea worth looking into. How would the Almighty God ask his servants to go ahead and take for himself a wife among harlots 
obvious harlots, prostitutes. Uh, it doesn't sound right. If it happens in this our present day world, obviously everyone will unanimously say that that is not God speaking. But it happened in the days of Hosea, and it was for a reason. You know, in those days, prophets were usually, uh, you know, the way God communicates with them and the way they, you know, they, they prophesy was usually dramatic. It was usually with a form of drama. You know, it wasn't just, it's, it's not like these days where you can have a prophet and he just speaks the word and gives you a prophecy standing on the pulpit and you take it and it works for you. In those days, it can be dramatic. They can use things around them to symbolize what God was going to do. In cases where they can't really express words, cannot really express what God has show to them or what God has asked them to say. They display it, they dramatize it. And so God wanted to use the prophet Hosea as a as a specimen, you know, as a sample, as a as as a sample to everyone to show what he actually felt in that time. What was actually going on in the land of Israel at the time. And so the marriage happened and it started. And you would think um, the person he got married to must have considered that, oh, for a man of God to come and pick me as his bride, I think this business of prostitution should stop. I should, he, he, I, I never even envisage getting married to anybody because I'm no more a virgin. I plan doing this for the rest of my life because I've, I've been this virgin, possibly out of circumstance or willingly. But now God has opened a way for me. I am getting married to uh, a man of God, a prophet, a well-known prophet in the land. That didn't make her to stop. In fact, she continued the halotry even after the marriage, and even after giving birth to a child. She she continued in a hollow tree. And this was symbolic of the nation of Israel. You know, what English people would call personification. God using, uh, referring to the children of Israel as a human being. You know, that's what happened in this book of Hosea. In chapter 2, which we'll be considering today. Okay, so God used the life of Hosea, the family of Hosea, the marriage of Hosea to depict, to really properly explain first to him that he would understand the message God was sending him. And then he will be able to properly express it to those God is sending him to, which are the children of Israel. Hosea chapter 2. We'll consider today and I, I, I can term this Hosea chapter 2 as I can team it or give it a title I can call it the travail of a lover the travail of a lover I'll just read a few verses as we just skip through few verses because we'll consider some of them as we continue okay Hosea chapter 2 verse 1 
Say you unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I a husband. I'm reading from the King James Version. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked, and set her as in the day that she was born, and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother had played the harlots. She that conceived them had done shamefully, for she said, I will go after my lovers, and give that give me my bread, and my water, my wool, and my flax, my oil, and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns, and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. We'll stop here. But the whole point of this chapter is just to show us what, uh, you know, the children of Israel being symbolized with this halot here what they were doing towards uh, the Almighty God, which is also symbolic to the husband of these harlots. Right? You know, I remember growing up and uh, there, there was a song I used to hear um, says, I'm, I'm married to Jesus, Satan, leave me alone. My husband is coming to take me away. And at, at the time I was, uh, I, I thought, at the time I, I thought it was a song for women only. You know, my husband is coming. Definitely I'm a male figure. I, I don't have a husband. He's only a wife. But, you know, later on as I began to grow, I wasn't singing the song then because I couldn't understand. I, I needed a male version. And there is no way we could translate it to say my wife is coming because we considered God as a, a man, you know, not a woman. So, but growing up, I discovered that God doesn't have, uh, you know, it's not bound by gender. It's not, it's not a gender person. Okay, it's not gender based. And that's why the book of Genesis says, let us make man in our own image. And the Bible com completed it by saying, in the image of, and after our likeness, in the image of God created ye him, male and female created ye them. All right? So man, uh, you know, standing for human race, the human race was both male and female both male and female. So God cannot be said to be a man, neither can he be said to be a woman. And so that's why we can say that um, we are, is married to us, both male and female. All right. And so he, 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 um, in this chapter, we can see how a woman that was taken to be wife left her husband and ran after other men for 
material gain for material things, you know, and she was involved in what in adultery, in halotry. Halotry simply means giving yourself, your body freely to people to have sexual pleasure with you for a price, okay? Although sometimes it may not be a price, it may not be with a price, but majorly for a price. And also in verse 2, you see that it's also involved adultery. So let her put away adultery. Adultery is when a married person is having an affair, an intercourse, sexual intercourse with someone who is not a husband. It's termed adultery. All right. So these are the things that the, the children of Israel were involved with. Not just the literal adultery. Not just literal halotry. What it signified at the time was idolatry. Serving idols. So God termed it. Because when you're married to somebody, when you're married to a God, and then you go after worshipping other gods. It's like a man, a, a woman being married to a man, and she go after sleeping with other men. That's what it means. And we all know God is a jealous lover. Like someone who said, jealousy is a proof of love. I'm not talking of the kind of um, wicked jealousy and bitter jealousy that some people have. But naturally, jealousy is a proof that somebody has feelings, have love for someone else. It happens in relationship. When you start having, you know, maybe cutting someone, maybe you're cutting someone, you know, or dating someone, and uh, you begin to see some, maybe the person is paying attention to another person that you, there's this thing you feel inside you, and that's jealousy. There's this unease you feel inside you, and that shows you already, there's already a connection between you and that person. So jealousy is a, and God is a jealous lover. He doesn't like to share his glory with anyone. He doesn't like to share his people, his bride with any other God. One of the greatest sin that God hates, that God calls an abomination, is idolatry, serving other gods. God hates it so much with passion. And that's why when you look at the Bible and you see some things that God is punishing the children of Israel for, when it comes to idolatry, there are some heavy and heavy idolatry and you know immorality. There are some heavy, heavy curses he gives for going after other gods. Alright? And in verse 8, you see that the Bible says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for bar. So you see another thing she did, what God gave to her was what she used in, in, in following after other men. What God gave to the children of Israel was what they used in serving Baal. That's, that's also very painful for a husband, a lover, and for the Almighty God. He gave them riches, He gave them wealth, He gave them 
you know, what they needed to live, you know, a life of fulfillment, a life of pleasure, a life, life of plenty. And they used it. Their silver, their gold, and their other precious stones to make bars for themselves and to worship the creature instead of the creator. And all these things made God unhappy, made infuriated God. All right. So that was in those days, the children of Israel, so ungrateful. Imagine it. Imagine your spouse. Imagine you getting married to someone or dating someone and you are giving the person your all. I'm sure we must have seen it in movies, even though we may not have the experience. And you gave the person everything you had, only to discover that the person is actually in love with someone else. And all those things you give the person out of your sweat, out of your sacrifice, out of your efforts, out of your struggles, your daily struggles, the person gives to someone else. Okay, that can be very hurtful. And if one is not even controlled by the Holy Spirit, if one is not a child of God, there will be this vengeful spirit to want to, you know, inflict pain, injury, punishment. In fact, there is no amount of injury you inflict on the person that will ease or appease for the hurts that you feel inside. That somebody you thought loves you and somebody you actually love is actually not in love with you. It's only deceiving you. All right. And this is the way God felt when he said all those things, when he made those promises. If you read through, you see some things he said, how he's going to, you know, inflict some pains on her. He said for, uh, therefore, verse 9, he said, therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness and now will I discover lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of my hand. I will also cause all her myth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, her sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards, and my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. So you can see, you can, you can imagine the pain with which God is speaking now. The children of Israel going against him, Going using what he gave them to serve other gods, no more worshiping him, no more giving him all the praise. And one of the reasons is because the, the children of Israel were so physically minded, they were they, they, they refused to be spiritual. God tried to make them spiritual, but they refused, starting from when they were delivered from the land of Egypt, and God was their king. But they still had to crave an earthly king, a physical king that they can see. And Moses climbed the, the, the mountain to discuss with God for 40 days. And just within that 40 days, they were already craving for a God they, they could worship. Based on what they had learned, what, based on what they had seen from where they came out of captivity. And sometimes that's you know, bringing it home, bringing it to the reality, bringing it to our present day. Sometimes that is what happens to us. 
what the life we we've known before we gave our lives to Christ, the ways of the world around us, the way of people around us, those that are not saved, they they so much attract. Uh, they, they are so much attractive to us, and they so much attract us, which they are meant to be, anyways. Because the devil wants to attract you away from, uh, you know, the, the the way of Christ into the Broadway. And so they so much attract us that we we feel this God thing, this Christ thing is is so much pressure, so much ridiculing, so much shame is 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 belittling. It's not allowing us the freedom. It's caging us, not knowing that going to the world, going into the world is a great is is a cage. Being in Christ is actually freedom. Because the Bible says. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Bible says, Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. I am meek and holy and, and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burdens is light. But the yoke of the world, the burden of the world, is not light at all. It's an unequal yoke. An unequal yoke. And the best way to imagine that unequal yoke is you imagine uh, uh, with your strength, with your energy, and, you know, uh, like an oxen. Imagine an oxen being yoked together with um, a, a dog. Okay? As short as a dog is, as tall as an oxen is. Definitely, even the load they are supposed to carry, the oxen will end up carrying more of the load because of his height, because of his, his the, you know, this, his own strength, and because the dog cannot carry much. First of all, there is an imbalance. Secondly, the dog has the maximum weight he can carry. And for the load not to fall, the oxen has to bear most of the load. You know, most of the force of the load will be on the oxen. And so you end up suffering and suffering and suffering and you think you have a partner, not knowing that you are suffering the, the greater punishment. And so sometimes these things attract us and we just find ourselves veering off. We find ourselves tilting towards the world, going away to the world. We find ourselves already polluted by the world, already unequally yoked together with the world. And like the Bible says, the soldier man that wore it does not entangle himself with the affairs of this life. And so we'll find ourselves already entangled. And what it means to be entangled, an entanglement is not just joining two things together. An entanglement is connecting and rewiring and coiling and curving and mixing two things together. That's an entanglement. So we find ourselves entangled like lots. And Abraham told him, look beyond the plains and choose wherever you want. And he chose somewhere close to Sodom. But eventually, after some years, when Abraham was going to rescue, when God was going to rescue Lot from, or when there was a capture, first of all, there was a capture, you know, in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham went to rescue. It was discovered that Lot was already in Sodom. 
So when you go near Sodom, it's only a matter of time before you find yourself in Sodom and then you are captured. You are entangled with the captivities of, of the devil. And so God is showing his displeasure for this kind of adultery, this kind of halotry, this kind of idolatry. Idolatry. We may say, oh, I don't worship any other God. I only serve God. Everybody knows that I serve God. But do you really serve God alone? Are things not set up in your heart like an idol to you? Your wife, your children, your job, your friends, your wealth, your properties, your possessions, your your jewelries, your gold, your silver, your your finance. Are these things not set up as an idol that you worship them? You you find yourself not being able to do without them. If someone should tamper with your you 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 rather you 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 know you rather forego the things of Christ than to forego your business. You rather forego the things of Christ than to forego your friends. Unfortunately, some actually worship idols. Some Christians actually mix up idol worship with their Christianity. They feel uh, God is not fast enough. God is not. It takes his time. They need something that is more sure that they can you know, make some findings and immediately get some results and, and all those forms of idol worship. But God is saying this day that he is not pleased with this. He is not happy. And that, you know, there are some that have gone into, you know, backsliding. Some have even become atheists because they, they, they entangled themselves with the affairs of this world. They were listening to things, listening to friends. See, the Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. There's a reason the Bible said, be not deceived. Don't don't think, I'll find a way to balance it. I'll find a way to manage them. No, the Bible is not saying that you should isolate yourself. No. Bible does not preach isolation. Jesus Christ does not preach isolation. Bible called it, people called Jesus Christ in those days when he was on earth, friend of sinners. But that was just the title they gave him. The reality is that he associated with sinners to try to save them. But those who were closest to him, those who he was waking up and sleeping with them and you know, these day-to-day activities with them, they were not termed sinners. So it's a different case where you relate with sinners at, in your place of work. You relate to, with sinners while preaching. You relate with sinners even in church for the, you know, just re, for relations' sake. Just to, to, to preach to them in one way or another, either by your life, your interaction or whatever. It's a different thing than... And it's also a different thing having them as your 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 close friends, your 
your the, your confidence, those you lean on to, those who surround you. Because evil communication will most likely corrupt good manners. If the, there is much closeness. Then there are some who think they are already they are still with the Lord, but they but they are only just religious. I'll show you from the scriptures in the book of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, briefly. I read from verse 1 to, to, to 4. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things said he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst bear them that are evil. And thou hast tried them, we say, they are apostles, and are not, hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat something against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Can you see that? With all these accolades in verse 2 and verse 3, you would think these people are on their way to heaven straight up. They are closest to the Father, but it said, I have something against you. You have left your first love. You have gone religious. Most of those act, most of those things are just works. That's what it started by saying, I know thy works. They're just works. And labor, but you have left your first love. You have left your first love. But it says, Remember, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. That's the way forward. Remember, remember. Just like the prodigal son. When he came back to his senses, the Bible says, he said, he remembered. He said, how many servants do my, do, do my father have? And they have enough to eat and even to spare. And I'm suffering here. I remember. I remember. Remember from whence thou art fallen and Repent. Repent. Remember and repent is all God requires from us now. If we look at the book of Hosea, chapter, same Hosea chapter 2, you would see the essence of the punishment God gave to the harlots, God gave to the children of Israel. It says from verse, uh, Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. It says, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sights. Put away, remember, put away. Verse 7 says, and she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband. For then was it better with me than now. 
she remembered that it was better with her than now. God has given her the punishment. The Bible says he would wound the father loves. He chastises. In this case, he would the husband loves. He has called the husband has chastised. So that she can come back. He's not interested in casting anyone off forever. Book of Hosea chapter 6. From verse 1 to 3 says, Come and let us return unto the Lord. Return. Return. After you remember, you return. Says, return to you, to your first works. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he had torn and he will heal us. Amen. He has smitten and he will bind us up. Hallelujah. After two days, will he revive us? In the third day, he will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. His going forth is prepared as the morning and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and the former rain unto the earth. Remember and return. That's all God wants. And when you remember, you return. All those sufferings, because sometimes the sufferings are as a result of our falling away. The sufferings are as a result of our backsliding. The sufferings as a result of our our halotry, our, our idolatry, our adultery. And God is ready to bind us up. In that same chapter 2, starting from verse 14, downwards, you see, it says, Therefore, behold, I will allow her. I will allow her. The message translation says, And now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date. And I will cut her. I will cut her again. We'll have a kind of a, a, a kind of honeymoon again. I'll cut her again. And I'll give her a vineyard from names. And on and on like that, you see the promises of God for those who will remember and return. Can we just take a minute, a moment to reflect on this word today? And think... Have we lost our first love? The times we spend with Christ, as it began to reduce the energy we used for the things of God, the energy we had, once had, for anything that pertains to Christ, has that energy dissipated? Has it, has it been used up? The love we had for God and we just want to spend one hour, two hours, all the day, praying and waiting on God, studying the Word of God. And now, our work, our job, our business, and we do not have any time left. This is a call to everyone, including the preacher. Everyone has ministry taking you away from the Lord, just like those in the efficient church has ministry taking you away from your first love. God is more interested in your relationship with Him than your relationship with your ministry, with your work. Have you lost your first love? 
Can you just go to the Lord right now and say, Father, I'm coming back. I remember. I remember where I lost it. My job made me lose it. My business made me lose it. My friends made me lose it. My spouse made me lose it. I remember. And I return. I'm coming back with a heart of worship. And it's all about you. Oh, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've hated. When it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.